Welcome to Green Rapids. You're listening to Green Rapids, and today we have a special guest with us, uh, our colleague, Sergio. Hi, I'm Sergio Cirar Reyes. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, so, Sergio, if you want to tell us what you do, um, so the reason why he's our first guest is because, again, he's our colleague. Um, we are all in the climate justice portion at the Urban Core Collective, um, but Sergio kind of started that for us. So if you want to give us a bit and tell us what that looks like. Sure. I'm the climate justice catalyst at uh, the Urban Core Collective. Um, we do environmental justice there along with other things at the Urban Core Collective, things like uh, education justice. We do growing leaders, the, our transformational leadership program, and we do other uh, democracy work. That sounds really fun. But what actually got you into climate justice? Because UCC ha didn't always have an environmental justice team, did they? No, that was actually a transition that I did uh, in my personal life. I was uh, originally doing um, community engagement. I was a director of community engagement and eventually uh, started you know, thinking a lot about um, what I wanted to do uh, with my life. <laughs> 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 I was... Um, I really wasn't getting into the outdoors because of the it was around COVID and oh yeah. even before mm -hmm. that, I was really thinking of ways in which I could um, like transition into something that was more versatile for me mm -hmm. and career wise. Okay. Yeah. But also personally, just um, thinking back on like how I grew up and how much Michigan has to offer in terms mm -hmm. of like biodiversity. Not that like desert is not fun, but like that wasn't my thing. That's and right. so then um, I personally, I, I took this um, this program called Shaping Narratives and uh, a friend of mine and someone who also uh, took the program encouraged me to start a local chapter of the Latino Outdoors. And so that's cool. It is. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and I haven't been the only one that's been really active in it. Lorena Aguayo Marquez has also been okay. really uh, active in getting uh, the group going. Mm hmm. So um, our my boss, um, Becca Velasquez Publis, said, why don't you do that at work, too? And so that's how I started doing environmental justice through work. And we figured it out, and we got some grants, and now we're doing environmental justice through work at UCC. That's yeah. so exciting that Becca like supported that work and invited you to bring it into the UCC workspace also. I think that's really, like, it's, a re it's really great because, you know, since the UCC is a nonprofit, it, like, opens up a lot of other opportunities for the kind of work that you want to do. It really does. It was it was very encouraging to hear that, and I felt really supported. Something I hadn't experienced to that extent in other any other job that I yeah, had Yeah, where they're like, oh, why don't you make it a job? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And then, so it was just you on the environmental justice team at UCC for a while. What led you to expand the team and bring Erica and I on board? Yeah, um, it was... Uh, <laughs> Your favorite <laughs> coworkers. Yeah, funny, yeah, funny story because <laughs> funny story. <laughs> I used okay, to always in, in any work that we were doing, people would say, "What? What about the UCC's like policy on environmental justice? Like, what does the UCC think?" And I was like, "Oh, we feel at UCC that," but it was really just me. <laughs> 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 and recently, um, Beck actually uh, kind of pointed me to a grant from the Energy Foundation. Okay around strengthening democracy mm -hmm. okay. uh, so, uh, and then uh, around uh, energy democracy, right? Um, yeah. And so 
we went for the grant and then we got it. It was uh, eight organizations across um, the Midwest, yeah. and we were one of the eight organizations that was awarded the grant. And so, based on that grant, uh, we were able to bring both of you. Yeah, on and, board. That, and that was the grant that we mentioned in our first conversation, which is called the Midwest Democracy Grant. And so, yeah, it allows for us to do what we're doing here today. And I'm really excited about that. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful. Yeah. yeah, I'm really happy that both of you are on board. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a good choice. <laughs> Less lonely over here at UCC. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're happy to be here. But related to the Midwest Democracy Grant, what are some of your visions for the future of environmental justice work at the UCC or through UCC? I think one core vision for, for me or like a principle at UCC is strengthening um, the capacity of communities of color mm-hmm. to take the lead of their own um, um, environmental justice priorities. Okay. And that, w- that came about uh, with uh, our engagement with the, the Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition and being exposed to all the work that they're doing on the other side of the state around water, around like uh, air quality and around the Ambassador Ridge, around mm-hmm. in Flint. Um, and realizing that here in, in Grand Rapids, at least, there it wasn't a lot of work being done by communities to, you know, to to do something about the, the, you know, their climate, their environment, and yeah. many of them didn't weren't aware as, as uh, I think they should about the contaminants that are affecting their lives. Yeah, and um, kind of related to that, like I know that you were specifically looking for organizations that were working environmental justice, but also have like a population or have representation that were of like people of color. Did you find that was a little bit lacking here in Grand Rapids? Yes, I, I had been working uh, with organizations um, through different work and even with the city. But I think those organizations were mostly, they're founded and led by, you know, by white people. And I, I knew that there was a, a need. I realized that, that unless our communities led their own environmental justice agenda, mm-hmm. they came up with the priorities. Yeah. Even if that agenda overlapped the same work that these organizations were doing, mm-hmm. unless it was their own, they were never going to own it as, as much true. as mm-hmm. it, it was their own. Mm-hmm. And the stories that were being used to recruit communities of color to these programs or to participate or just to get on the climate uh, change bandwagon, yeah, it wasn't resonate with commu- resonating with communities of color. And yeah. so then I, I, I saw the need for um, communities of color to kind of learn about climate change to, uh, and environmental justice or environmental injustice mm-hmm. and kind of have them tie it back to what's important to them in their lives and what's yeah. practical and what's real for them. And then based on that, creating an environmental justice agenda that they can get behind. So I, th- I think that's the difference between like what um, white-led traditional environmental organizations mm-hmm. were doing and what I think uh, is now starting to happen in Grand Yeah, Rapids. like more yeah. intersectional. Well, and that must be like a huge part of what fuels the work that you're doing because I know that's a huge part of what's fueling my work. And like my passions are because I want more people who look like me to have this knowledge and to live these lifestyles and have access to this information um, because it's not a very conventional practice for us to be out in hikes or on kayaks or in these environmental areas and spaces. So... Um, again, I'm just really appreciative that these doors are opening and that Grand Rapids is getting on that page. Mm-hmm. Me too. Thank you, yes. everyone. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, so earlier you mentioned energy justice. Do you want to explain what that is to yeah. folks who might not know? Yeah, energy justice or energy democracy is, is the ability of people to have access to energy, clean, uh, renewable energy. Uh, I'm talking about like um, wind and solar energy and not, um, you know, methane gas like what we are using or you know, hydrocarbon mm-hmm. that um, people are, are using. Um, and so then I energy democracy means that everyone has the ability to either um, produce their own energy through rooftop solar mm-hmm. or distribu- distributed generation um, energy and that's affordable to them mm-hmm. and that it's not polluting the, the earth or, or even the neighborhoods. It's like not the plants in, uh, are not located in their communities mm-hmm. and polluting their schools and their neighborhoods and uh, the ability to affect um, how that energy is produced mm-hmm. and to also have a say and how our local elected officials are regulating those utilities. Makes sense. I think that's a really good, like, segue. So, yeah, we would like for you to explain um, the consumer's energy IRP and then also maybe a little bit as how we get access to our powers through consumers um, just for transparency and what what it's like to get energy from these companies. Sure. that is like a really complicated process and I'll do my best to, to kind of simplify it. But yeah, I'll start can. from the beginning. Um, there are companies that have monopolies on our the energy, right? If you go to get energy from anywhere, it's going to come from consumers energy here mm-hmm. on the west side of the state and electricity and then um, from DTE energy on the east side of the state in Detroit. So here in um, in West Michigan, um, Consumers Energy was um, asking to renew a contract or seeking to renew a contract, um, which is called an integrated resource plan, which is we ended up calling for simplicity, the 15-year plan. This plan is a plan in which they com- uh, explain to the government, to the state government, uh, specifically the Michigan Public Service Commission, how they are going to produce power over the next 15 years, okay. uh, 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so through this plan, the, uh, the Michigan Public Service Com- Commission has to scrutinize um, how, whether this is a good plan, whether it's going to be things that they consider is reliability, they consider cost, mm-hmm. and they consider infrastructure that the company has to have in place okay. to be able to meet the needs anticipated, the power energy needs of the entire uh, coverage area. Mm-hmm. And so then um, what happens during this process is that uh, if the state, uh, if the, the state regulatory agency, the Michigan Public Service Commission approves this, then they're set for 15 years. Okay. And there's a lot of important um, policies that go into this plan. And this is a very critical opportunity for the public to weigh in mm-hmm. and inform a process that's going to dictate what kind of cost they're going to have, how reliable their service is going to be, and the equity concerns around um, how you get uh, your energy, your electric energy from um, this utility company. So is it essentially the renewal of a contract and then what they're going to be doing with the next 15 years that they have of that contract? Exactly. Okay, Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I mean, how do you see that impacting Grand Rapids or what the work that they're planning on doing? Like, is that something that's going to be pushing us forward uh, or towards something that's going to be more 
carbon friendly? Yes, there was. Um, so as, as part of this process, the, the Urban Core Collective, we were um, legal intervening legal interveners in this case, which means that we were stakeholders in this case, and we were able to kind of ask questions uh, of um, this utility company, Consumers Energy, and also request, make requests of the Michigan Public Service Commission. So we were involved in this case. There was a negotiation that happened. We were involved in um, engaging with the public. We have s certain strategies to um, get the public to weigh in on what should happen. Essentially, uh, some of the wins that came out of this, and we call it, we consider them wins because they were asking for significant more, significantly more th um, things from the state. But uh, they wanted to close down some power plants, and we uh, um, we were able to leverage, convince them to close them down early. Uh, and some okay. of those plants were uh, fueled by coal. Okay. Uh, some things that so we had super dirty energy. Yeah, the worst kind of um, super dirty energy super source. Dirty. That's actually Nailed a scientific it. term. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And what they their plan was to switch to um, uh, to open or buy uh, power plants that were run on on gas, mm. and they were they were calling it natural gas, and they're the ones that kind of termed the, the phrase uh, natural gas. Yeah, okay. but it's greenwashing. Yes, exactly. And it's actually methane gas. Right. Um, so it's like putting natural on like a food box and being like, yeah, there's great mm -hmm. ingredients. And like that word doesn't really. Here's some natural formaldehyde. Okay, Just yeah. Add yeah. it to your lemonade. Like exactly. Kind of <laughs> and so what they did is they were pushing to switch to um, gas. And so we, we really lobbied for them not to um, switch to gas and instead move to um, uh, renewables, mm -hmm. uh, wind and solar. Um, and so th they wanted to buy uh, another power plant. Um, and so what they were arguing is that they this power plant was for reliability. Mm -hmm. the, the argument is that they want to switch to renewables, but then because you know uh, pop solar depends on the weather sun. and wind mm -hmm. also wind energy also depends on whether there's wind or not. Yeah. They wanted to have a backup, and so that for reliability issues, they wanted a a gas powered plant. They did end up closing multiple um, plants, uh, mm -hmm. and they're actually they're scheduled to be retired. That's what mm -hmm. how they referred to them. Okay. So that was okay. one of the wins. Okay. And is That's that like win. well, and is that a schedule to be retired within the next fifteen years, or is that just outside of that, just a kind of a promise that they're not going to continue to do that forever? What's the time scale? Uh, yeah, I think I think they initially they were asking or they were planning on retiring by uh, 2039. And, you know, don't quote me on this. I need right. to review that this, the mm. specifics. But I think that they're now closing it in, in um, 2030s. Okay. okay. Something like that. Well, 2039 would have been the, the 15 years. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. And and actually, there's there's it's some plants are going to be closed earlier than that. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's multiple plants yeah. that are going to be closed. Okay. They also agreed to uh, op to set a fund. Um, I think it was like thirty two million over the next five years. Wow! Uh, and that fund was to um, give assistance to people that were struggling with paying their bills, mm -hmm. and they committed to not uh, asking for 
to make that up in in a rate case that in the okay. in any rate case that followed. Okay, That's rate cases nice. are are cases that they kind of like in between this IRP, the fifteen year contract or the fifteen mm-hmm. year plan. They uh, ask for rate increases to in to cover mm-hmm. their costs, their mm-hmm. operating costs. Oh, just to fluctuate along with like rising costs of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and something that's interesting about um, both DTE and Consumers Energy is that they're uh, a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. and so, so publicly for profit. So they're yeah, for they profit, are. and they have to guarantee. The state allows them to guarantee their um, their investors mm-hmm. at least ten percent return. Okay, so there's no way that they would be like of the mind to be like publicly owned or provide this like public service with to a captive audience for anything less than they already are because they're meant to be just turning out more money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, a conflict of of interest there in there the sense is. that uh, in order t- to it's not in their best interest to cut costs mm-hmm. to produce. Uh, the m- least um, costly uh, energy to the public because they want to pr- create a profit for okay. for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so does DTE have anything like that? Or are they just totally out of that? Because mm-hmm. didn't they just raise energy costs in Michigan recently? And then, like, what does that cap look like? Well, DTE is going through their own um, rate um, integrated resource plan on the other side of the state and actually dte is uh, a terrible company that shuts off people's power and Mm -hmm. um has a terrible service they actually have sold the debt for people that haven't paid okay and and there's a lot of organizers um, that are doing Mm -hmm. amazing work on the east side of the state in detroit Mm -hmm. against uh, organizing against the uh, det and so they're they're going through the same process um, they have terrible reliability issues and yep. related to equity mm-hmm. also. Yeah. And communities of color don't get their power back as, as much as other, like, in suburbs. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine the implications for um, yeah. communities of color. Yeah, especially with the fact that w- our weather has been getting more and more extreme, so people are being subjected to mm-hmm. more and more exposure to the elements. Yeah, colder yes. winters, hotter summers, mm-hmm. or just m- more inconsistent weather leading to, like, having to run your things differently. Like, I know that there are some days where I wake up and it was really cold and then all of a sudden it's really warm in the morning and I'm like, wow, I had my heat cranked higher than I needed to, but like, it was really cold that night. And Mm -hmm. so it's just, it's hard to find that difference too and be efficient sometimes. Yeah, this is especially important when there's storms like the one we experienced a couple of weeks ago where people had, were without power for like weeks, like at least one week, maybe a week and a half. Um, I'm not sure, but there may be, p- be people that are still without power, but it was like, what do you do when you when you yeah. lose power for that long? Well, and I, I see on like the internet, people are like showing you how to make indoor stoves and how to like cook. And it's like, I really cannot believe we're even sharing this information with each other. Mm-hmm. And knowing in Michigan, sometimes it doesn't have to do with a power line. It has to do with a power company shutting your access to power off. It just seems very inhumane. It what does. else are you supposed to do? And then when you raise rates, like, my income isn't going up. My other bills aren't going down. Mm -hmm. You're just making it harder for me to do what I need to do. Yeah. And there's actually, they're supposed to pay you if you experience more than a certain amount of outage time. And then um, the length of time that it takes for them to 
to bring it back on. And yes, exactly. The fact that you don't know that (laughs) is a thing. And not not everyone knows that. And so um, they keep it pretty, like, you know, hidden from the public. Sort of like the city's uh, secret composter. Well, share this episode with your friends right now. Oh, man. So um, would you say then that working with consumers and being a part of the lawsuit is like one of your bigger, like personal, um, meaningful contributions to environmental justice? Or like, are there any more um, that you would want to share? Because we know you do it all. Yeah, Yeah. right. Besides being the catalyst. (laughs) 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 I I think that um, that one of the one of the more important things that I think personally is the um, kind of like Latino outdoors mm-hmm. and um, having conversations amongst people in Grand Rapids, kind of um, getting nonprofit organizations, uh, pushing them into mission creep and getting them to mm-hmm. adopt environmental justice as you know best practice in their organization, okay. putting that language in it in their organization and inviting them to be part of environmental justice issues. Um, I can tell you, for example, with uh, the C4, mm-hmm. that's the Community Collaboration on Climate Change. Yeah. Um, as a, a leadership board member, um, uh, one, of, one of the things that I am proud of is, is um, lobbying for organizations to come on board that weren't uh, environmental justice organizations that okay. were like for example the hispanic center who is now oh. our fiduciary and is now enjoying kind of membership of c4 i say enjoying because like you know I, it's it's such a a, a great collaboration mm-hmm. but yes. you know it's and conversations had to be had with organizations yeah. because they didn't see that climate change or environmental justice was aligning with their mission okay and as as i i talked to multiple you know leaders especially people of color in grand rapids many of them didn't see themselves doing that work Mm -hmm. but um asking for their support bringing them in to projects i think that has been a significant impact that i've seen i've seen the change i Watching them be involved in, in climate change um, work and environmental justice work is, is super rewarding in the sense that like they weren't doing that before, and now collectively, like we're building that capacity that we're talking about that mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. it wasn't happening, and now it's happening. So being a part of C4 um, and also like uh, Latino outdoors and seeing other folks mm-hmm. um, kind of enjoying outdoors and and discovering a part of themselves that yeah. they didn't know um, needed to be you know explored mm-hmm. or maybe I, I won't speak for their personal journeys but watching them do it now and, and talking to me about how um, um, it's, it's some things that they're doing now have changed their lives and um, and then awesome. going on outings and uh, asking consistently, how m- how many of you have done this before? And every single outing, there's at least one person that says this is my first time. Nice. Whether it's like hiking, so biking, mountain biking. Yeah. So that's, um, I would say, some of the things that I'm 
that I'm proud to say. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it's like an especially good feeling when it, like you said, organizations that are not necessarily environmental or climate change organizations, but they make the effort to like include that as part of their scope of, or, or like their mission. Um, because like it really does take everybody doing a little bit to like make those like ripples, you know? It does. So. And mm-hmm. when you think about it too, like how is the environment not tied to housing? How is the environment not tied to mental health when going for a walk in nature is proven to center you? Mm-hmm. You know, like preserving these things and making sure that we understand why it's important to have an energy efficient home, why it's important to not have lead in your paint. Like all those things are going Clean to add water. up and create like, right, or in your water. Like it's it's going to create more awareness and more understanding, um, hopefully center us as people, help us make more sound decisions. Mm-hmm. At least I know I feel a little bit better after I go on a nature hike mm-hmm. like I oh do. maybe I just need to breathe a little yeah some yeah. oxygen yeah. yeah that's some of the conversations that I, I've I've had with people and some work that I was doing with uh, Wimcat around mm-hmm. their community catalysts um, uh, they have an organization called public agency mm-hmm. they were doing engagement on the river and, and I, I had cool. the opportunity to do interviews with people about their experience with water or nature and the land and what you're saying what you're talking about erica was um something that came up consistently about Mm -hmm. how people felt when they were around water and just i I did a lot of exploring and you know listened to a lot of podcasts Mm -hmm. watched a lot of shows about how and and kind of looked at how architecture Mm-hmm. always involves water like water features and okay. ponds and next to rivers that's why mm-hmm. like people fountains and stuff yeah the majority of the population in the entire world is around you know water because water is life right mm-hmm. yeah. but, also, but also water like you mentioned is like a centering force and like it's it's part of, of our psyche and and it has uh, a calming effect there's so many studies about what um how it reduces stress how you mm-hmm. feel when you're on water yeah. And at the length of time, it's like scientifically documented. Mm-hmm. Well, when we're made of so much water, like I almost feel like it's just you're almost looking at yourself in a sense or like what it is to be. Plants need it. We need it. Mm-hmm. Our planet needs it. Our planet which is why we needs should it. stop polluting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned how to sing from Nancy last um, yeah. time we recorded. Yeah. <laughs> she just every now and then throws in a little tune yeah like thanks to colonialism or something like that so before you leave Sergio we're we're gonna be using a little bit I I think that might take a lot of time all right we'll we'll we'll, we'll figure it out next time yeah well with that being said though um I mean we already talked about your work but what do you do for yourself what are your passions yeah what are your passions (laughs) the deep breath (laughs) I I think right now I'm finding a lot of joy in soccer. Uh, oh, I <laughs> recruiting right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Join, <laughs> I should say, you know what? I should say, my mind. One of my greatest accomplishments <laughs> is starting three teams. There we go. No, say it louder. We love it. On uh, the GR Champs League. <laughs> nice. But that's outdoors. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know, Wow. Yeah, it's out in the park, so you like need those spaces Community. to be there. Public spaces, yes. exposing people to nature, mm-hmm. the land, the environment, just mm-hmm. really feeling good. There's a lot of um, there's a lot 
of testimonials about people who started playing soccer and <laughs> what it's done for their lives. Yeah. Right. So that's one of my passions. <laughs> well, and I know a lot of people who have started, and a lot of them are like, oh, I didn't do it before, but it's also cool to see people like me joining those things because it's like, man, I never really thought, like, I'm going to be totally honest, which when I was growing up in Holland, a lot of people did play soccer, and, and it was more diverse than you would expect when I say the word Holland, I'm going to be honest, but, like, I felt like a lot of the teams were filled with a bunch of white kids and that's because it's who I went to school with and so I couldn't really picture myself doing those sports and stuff like that so I love seeing adults just get into it and and just be themselves and yeah enjoy each other's company mm-hmm. do something constructive mm-hmm. yeah the MLK team is uh, plays our home field is the MLK park when does the season start uh, the season starts sometime in May we haven't decided the captains haven't met about it yet but mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> fun fact about our team, MLK team, one of 12 teams, is that we probably have, we have the most for sure, the most uh, black people on our team. Mm-hmm. And we might have more black people in our team than the rest of the other teams combined. <gasps> Dang. What? The other teams Step combined? it up, other yeah, teams. Other 11 teams, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, just to show what, you know, intentionality can do. Yeah. Look at half of the professional soccer players they're all people of color from all over the world like yeah. they're not yeah that's so interesting so mm-hmm. yeah that wasn't happening with the league so yeah yeah no big deal just another accomplishment but yeah. also a passion which is so cool that we can turn our passions into accomplishments mm-hmm. i think that's one of the most empowering parts about doing this work is that i'm just simply really passionate about the climate mm-hmm. and now it feels like i'm accomplishing something with that Another passion of mine, actually, like more related to the work, is is uh, Latino outdoors and mm-hmm. just being out in the environment and exploring, doing things that are scary, that are new, that are um, that break stereotypes about, and maybe not just stereotypes, but things that are inaccessible to mm-hmm. people that you know are people of color, yeah. inaccessible because of like you know uh, stereotypes because we see ourselves as not you know, doing these these sports, these activities. Sometimes and it's also like a safety thing, too. Like, I'm yeah. scared to go to the UP by myself. Exactly. We just talked about Real this. Mm-hmm. The guy who was bird watching. Oh, yeah, that one guy that was on the news who was, like, bird watching, and then he had, like, the cops called on him because yeah. he looked suspicious, and it's like... He's like, dude, I'm watching birds. <laughs> yeah. Like, what could I be doing that seemed like it was wrong, but yeah. when you see somebody who's not conventionally in nature doing something like that people it throws people off mm-hmm. yeah that's, and that's so yeah, wrong like, yeah and when it's like that should be the norm because i don't know like especially like it's our indigenous culture watching birds. yeah i was like people. <laughs> yeah but even just like our indigenous cultures here like you know like <laughs> even they're they don't have access to the spaces mm-hmm. that they should yeah so yeah physical psychological social safety that's all the things mm-hmm. all types of safety that we have to you know feel to like be out in nature and and yeah. I, I think that sometimes folks that have always have a, had access mm-hmm. um take for granted and so uh, around this work in particular this was kind of intentional in the sense that um doing this work was a, a way to prime people was a way to prime mm-hmm. people to participate in and experience nature in the outdoors mm-hmm. and kind of see what what is out there like the beauty the majesty of you know uh, the water the great lakes our forests Mm -hmm. our natural resources you know Mm -hmm. flora and fauna here in michigan 
and, and really all over. Um, and to ask themselves, like, this is what we're saving. This mm-hmm. is what we're preserving. Yeah. And also um, to question, like, why don't I feel safe when I go to the UP? Why, mm-hmm. uh, why am I treated differently? Why, why am I sticking? Why do I stick out so much? Yeah. When yeah. I'm out here. Mm-hmm. And why those is it a convers- commodity for me to be taking a hike? Yeah. Exactly. And then those conversations will lead to like, what else is happening around? Uh, oftentimes, um, they'll lead to conversations about like the water and mm-hmm. the. Plaster Creek, how polluted it is, yeah. and, and PFAS that was found in Rockford, mm-hmm. and PFAS that was also found in the Roosevelt Park neighborhood. And, yeah, with yeah. the Black Hills, yeah. or everything adjacent yeah, to the Black Hills. Mm-hmm. Kind of sandwich yeah. in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really good conversation. But, I mean, you're spending time around nature and doing all these things, so some of these must be the reason why, or I mean not the, the reason why, but does it help kind of fuel your desire to keep doing this advocacy work? Yes, uh, for me, it's, uh, I'll be honest to you, I I think that communities of color, people of color um, need, um, need to be in positions of power and influence because um, this is how we're going to change it. We're, you know, this is a step to liberation mm-hmm. and power has to be taken sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that logically for me this was a strategy for me it was like okay um there's these all these organizations white led doing the this work around you know climate change and their leading work they're 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 in boards and commissions um and those are opportunities for people of color to sit in those seats and have that power and influence Mm -hmm. and be able to bring grants and to their organizations and then leverage those grants, le- leverage those seats, leverage those positions of influence, and infuse our experience yeah. into the, the climate justice fight, into the environmental justice fight. Yeah. And for me, that was another reason why. Um, when you've been working in, in, you know, equity, when you've been doing that equity work for mm-hmm. so long, like it doesn't leave you, right? Everything. Yeah. It's it's a lens. Uh, by what you see it's through like what a you new see training the, the world it, yeah mm-hmm. it definitely does not leave you mm-hmm. <laughs> like y- you would start to see how the systems that we abide by are woven into everything that we do from like the type of car you drive to how much you're gonna pay for gas prices to who's selling the gas and all mm-hmm. of that um, what are s- what, what is the largest issue you see Grand Rapids facing when it comes to environmental injustice? Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. I think most people expect me to say like uh, a specific issue, environmental issue, um, but I think it's the lack of representation and of people of color in positions of leadership in all these uh, fronts. Okay, mm-hmm. that is. I think it's the one thing that's going to influence that, and I something that I offer to white-led organizations or white folks that are doing this work, mm-hmm. mostly like um, in in climate action, adaptation, and sustainability work, mm-hmm. is that um, um, they need to see people of color less like commodities and people that 
they can recruit to their um, to their work and yeah. more like real allies that have something of value to offer a lived experience mm-hmm. because of the work that people of color have done around police reform, on equity, on housing, and all these social issues that impact them disproportionately. That experience, and especially here in Grand Rapids, the our the the progress that we've made to um, to be able to influence poli- local politics is something that we bring to the table mm-hmm. to these organizations, and that's why our work should be funded and uh, we should be put in positions of leadership because we have um, real ex- expertise to offer that mm-hmm. is not uh, currently. Yeah. Um, part of their repertoire yeah Yeah, so moving beyond just like the token ship and just like the checking off that box in the diversity survey like Mm -hmm. we want to just see like some real change because you're right and like people of color as like a widespread community are not necessarily gonna be as supportive of climate change if they don't see it as their issue and i think we need more representation to see it as our issue or like you know how people when you have someone coming into your space and being like we want to help you it's like, how do you even know what I'm experiencing? Or are you are you looking at me from a lens that feels outside? Like, it's really nice to talk to somebody who looks like you. Like, if I see a woman in a space and we're talking about things that might apply more for me and that person, or if I see a person of color, or if I see somebody, you know, any person who appears to present as something that I understand, I'm going to automatically think, they do they're here for me or they're here with me or they might understand whatever walk i have and that's going to be an easier conversation when you have someone who very clearly doesn't come from the same space as you it feels very impersonal it feels like you're trying to project my neighborhood and it it it's great for the environment but it's hard to accept and that's why i think people shy away from it too yeah, and then there's also the case of for like accessibility too, right? Like a lot of people have that are in these spaces are either. I mean, a lot of the ones that I see in certain organizations might maybe like be retired or they just have like that time as a resource. Right. Whereas a lot of like younger people of color, like people, you know, we're busting our butts off working trying to get by. Um, so it's also like um, it's also a privilege thing, right? So like I don't have some people that just don't have like the money, time, or resources to care about climate change or think that they can be involved that way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like having that movement be led by some leaders that are people of color who can provide maybe more accessible ways to get involved, I think is also really important so that people can know that regardless of where they are in life, they can do something. Yeah, that's it's so true that there's so many people that are have the privilege to do this on their spare time. Mm-hmm. And so many people of color have to do it through work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the real challenges that we're, we're asking people to impact their community. And just going back to what you said, Erica, you just were just talking about a core organizing principle to center the impact of community and the movement. And um, just that, you know, deals with accessibility where you're not, we're, us three, like we, we get paid to do this work now, mm-hmm. but we're asking people to join the movement and do this work for, for free. free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They're busy. Yeah, they yeah. are. They're stressed. Well, and, and they're really tired. <laughs> people, people the way that we live in general we are just under 30 percent of the problem so we can all make individual decisions but like i think it's the education and awareness of where 
um, our climate change is coming from so that you know some of the work might just be ed- educating yourself becoming mm-hmm. an activist um, not supporting certain like literally not shopping at a certain company boycott is Nestle. you boycotting Nestle <laughs> will be you supporting climate change. So you don't actually have to even recycle the Nestle bottle you're not buying, you know? It's just, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways, and I think part of what we want to do here is remind people that there are different ways, remind people that there are people who look like us who are doing this work, mm-hmm. um, but also it's not just because it's a job. Like, yep. we care. It is our neighborhood. It's it's where our grandparents had grown up. You know, it's, it's a lot deeper than... Um, it being a trend right now. Yeah. But we can kind of close out our conversation. I think this has been really solid one, though. I've learned a lot. Um, and it's really, I think it's cool to get to know you and to get to know why you're here. I think we've heard little bits and pieces, but that's that passion work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to state here, transparency, I don't have a degree in this. I don't know if my other coworkers have degrees in this, but... I don't either. Yeah, there we go. Either, but I read a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I know how to read. Um, I watch <laughs> I watch more documentaries than anything. <laughs> um, podcasts are great. We love podcasts. But none of us are like highly educated in the environment, and I think that's something else that maybe some people of color can understand. Maybe just your average person can understand. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to have this knowledge. You don't have to go to hours of school to make a difference in your communities and to work in them. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if you want to say anything, Nancy, or if you want to close out, Sergio, and save the world with your last message. Um, I just want to say Happy Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month. Yay. Happy Women's History Month. Um, later on, there will be, well, not later on, by the time you hear this episode, it will be out. Yeah. But there will be a post about Hazel M. Johnson, who was a, an environmental advocate living in the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was just a really large advocate for people in her neighborhood who were facing health issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One one thing that I do want to say, and, you know, say. this is interesting that w- women uh, in the women's National Women's History Month, History oh, month shout us out. is that all the people that are influential in my, like, in, in me transitioning to environmental justice work uh-huh. are women. Michelle, Michelle Martinez and Jamisa Johnson Greer from the Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition. Okay. Also, Anne Marie Hurdle, who's also with the Envi- uh, Environmental Justice Coalition. Michelle isn't anymore, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Krista Patron, Alice Jasper. These were uh, <laughs> people that uh, really supported me in my transition. They, wow. they um, I was like, who do I ask about this? Like, how do I do this? Uh-huh. And they were like, they were never like, what, you don't know? Like, you should mm-hmm. know. Th- yeah. It was uh-huh. never like that. They always pointed me in the right direction, supported me, connected me with other people. When there was folks visiting the city, they connected them with me. And so these are people that were really influential in the work that I do now. Mm-hmm. And they Very all happen cool. to be women. So, Yay. Okay. One. Shout out to women. Shout out to women. Two, thank you for having a list of people like that brought you here. I think that's so important to remember, like the influences that brought us here. Um, and, and women, yeah, <laughs> we're amazing. Yeah, I mean, I would say that a part of my journey, I feel, started with one of my friends. Her name is Rachel Barecki, but yeah, she's also oh, a woman. Oh, if we're shouting people out. Shout out to Rachel. No, a huge part of the reason why I'm here is um, Alita, Alita Kelly, because um, of some of the work that she was doing. She d- started Freedom Schools, which is how I met Sergio. Freedom Schools in Grand Rapids, shout out. 
Um, taking kids into <laughs> nature. I mean, it's just, I think we all have those very influential people that mm-hmm. paved that path. I'm going to start making my list. Yeah. But happy Women's History Month to all of the influential women on our she, list. Um, <laughs> she didn't coerce either one of us into saying this. I swear this is <laughs> I love uh, gardening and farming. Urban <laughs> <laughs> farming. I love house justice. projects. <laughs> Food justice. Because I'm a leader, Calvin. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> all right, yeah. Thanks for being here today. Mm-hmm. This is the, probably the best first interview. You made it really easy and exciting, fun. Yeah, so thanks for letting us pick your brain. Yeah. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm really <laughs> excited <laughs> to see what's going to come of it. Yeah. Thanks. He didn't force us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and thank you for listening to Green Rapids. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Exactly two weeks. Exactly two weeks. Um, it'll be the best. Uh, it'll be the highlight of your week. Yeah. Don't forget, you can find all of our social medias on our website, greenrapidspodcast.com. Music credits go to Imari Curry, who created this, um, the music in the beginning and end of this episode. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Peace. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) (laughs) That's great.